Well, um, in a world where it feels like right now there is uh, not a lot of things for certain, uh, there is one thing for certain. Uh, none of us are living in the world that we were living in a week ago. It seems like just in the course of a few days, whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, uh, the world that we live in, it has changed. I mean, just think about it. You're there, our churches are empty, and I'm here. And this time last week, I doubt that a single one of us would have anticipated this. Certainly a couple of weeks ago, not a single one of us would have anticipated this. Uh, none of us at the beginning of the year, uh, when we opened up our calendars and we started planning for quarter one and we started thinking about spring break and we started thinking about this weekend or that weekend or that tournament or this tournament or this business trip or that business trip, uh, none of us sat down and penciled in a global pandemic. Uh, not a single one of us wrote in our calendars coronavirus or any derivative thereof. Uh, none of us anticipated this. None of us thought about adding margin to our lives. Uh, none of us thought about changing anything to prepare for this moment. Uh, we just assumed life was going to go on as we anticipated life would go on. And now we recognize and we realize that's just not the case. Uh, today, my generation and your generation, we're dealing with things we've never had to deal with, aren't we? Forced quarantine, massive travel restrictions, the banning of public gatherings in some parts of the United States. Schools all across some states have shut down. Colleges have dismissed in-person classes for online classes. Uh, professional sports league like the NBA, they canceled the rest of their season. The NCAA basketball tournament canceled. The SEC tournament canceled. And nobody, nobody, not a single one of us would have imagined all of this a few weeks ago. It reminds all of us about the fragility and the unpredictability of life, about the brevity of life. Uh, in our land today, in the land of plenty, believe it or not, there's hospitals in the Northwest that say they're fearful of running low on critical supplies in just a few days. Some airports look like ghost towns. Many churches are empty. And maybe you experienced what my family experienced just yesterday in local supermarkets. Shelves, empty, food gone, people fearful, people in a panic. We've seen this in movies before, haven't we? We've seen it on the big screen. We've seen it on the small screen. We've seen this on television. We've seen this in the movies, but now you and I, we're living it. This is real life. I was with Allison, I was with Shepard and Grayson yesterday at the supermarket and, and we walked in and I looked at my family and I said, is this real life? And it is. This isn't a movie, this isn't television, this is real life, this is your life, this is my life, this is our life. And the fact of the matter is, as your pastor and as your friend and in this with you together, the fact of the matter is this, if it feels like the world is in crisis, if it feels like the world is in crisis, if it seems like the world is in crisis, if it looks like the world is in crisis, it's because it is. Uh, we hear the word crisis, but we, we seldom stop to think about what does the word crisis actually means? It means a time of intense trouble, check. It sounds like a time of difficulty, check. Uh, a crisis is when a threat or danger is looming, check. The dictionary tells us that a crisis is a significant emotional event. 
And I think that the moment that we're living in, the season that we're living in, the last few days that we have been living in, probably the days in our future that we're gonna be living in, I think it fits the bill. This feels like, looks like, seems like a crisis. And if you stand still long enough, you've probably noticed what I've noticed. If you stand still long enough and if you listen long enough, if you read long enough, you can not only hear the panic, but you can begin to feel the panic. You can not only hear the fear, but you begin to feel the fear. You can sense the anxiety that's out there among family, among friends, among culture, among the world. But you can also begin to sense that anxiety as well. I think maybe this is a fear and a panic and a moment that really even surpasses 9-11 and for those in our church and those that are watching that went through 9-11, you know what those first few days after 9-11 felt like, the uncertainty, a little panic, the fear, and everything that went along with that season of our lives and that season of history for our country. I'll always remember when President George W. Bush, when he walked out in front of tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of people, and he reared back and he threw that perfect pitch to say to the world, to say to our nation, to say to our communities and to our families and to every individual, this is gonna be okay. We're gonna get through this. But it doesn't seem like we've had that moment yet. It doesn't seem as though we can even rally like that because we can't even meet together in this moment, in this season. Our communities can't gather in stadiums or arenas because this is a different thing, the coronavirus. This thing that we're all fighting against and that we're all thinking about and that we've all been affected by to some level and to some degree. It's just a little bit different and maybe just a little bit more panic and fear than, than what we went through in 9-11. For those of you who've been through crisis before, whether it's a national crisis or a community crisis, and, and I think we've all gone through personal crisis. We've experienced you know, a crisis in our marriage, we've experienced a crisis in our family. The one thing that we all know to be true about a crisis is this, crisis tends to bring out the best or worst in people. It brings out the best or the worst in me. Sometimes it brings out the best and worst in me. It'll bring out the best or the worst or the best and the worst in you. It brings out the best and the worst in politics, in culture, in society, in communities. Uh, sometimes in the midst of crisis, we are either drawn together in unity or we're repelled apart in disunity. Uh, it's either in crisis that we decide that we're gonna trust each other, or we're gonna be suspicious of each other. It's in moments of crisis where we decide whether we're gonna be optimistic about the future or whether we're gonna be cynical about the future. It's in the crisis Whatever it is, whether it's a global crisis, a national crisis, a local crisis, a family crisis, an individual crisis, it's in the moment of crisis that we feel the pressure that the best or the worst, it's gonna come out of us. It's drawn out of us. That's how crisis works. Because in moments of crisis, we all have a choice. If you look up the word crisis in a dictionary, you're gonna find that one of the definitions of crisis is this. It is a decisive moment. It is a moment of decision. That's how a crisis works. That's what a crisis is. 
In a moment of crisis, we all have to decide for ourselves, how are we going to respond? What are we gonna do? How are we gonna deal with it? How are we gonna embrace this new normal? How are we gonna deal with the onslaught of this new cycle that just seemingly won't end? One piece of bad news, one diagnosis, one new case after another. In a moment of crisis, there are many moments of choice. There are moments of decision. And we face that moment of decision over and over again and you have to decide and I have to decide and we all have to decide as individuals, as families, as a church, as a community, as a nation, as a world. How are we gonna respond? What are we gonna do in this moment of crisis that we're all in? Because we're all in this together. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same moment together. This is just not about me and you. This is about all the me's and you of the world. This is just not about the United States of America. This is just not about Republicans. This is just not about Democrats. This isn't just about whether you think it's real or not real. We are all in this together. And in a moment of crisis, you have to decide. I have to decide. We have to decide. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to deal with it? How are we gonna embrace this new normal that have, that's been thrust upon all of us? How are we gonna respond? How should we respond? In the moment of crisis, the question that I think floats to the surface, in the moment of crisis, the question that you face and I face is this right here. What now? What now? Not what tomorrow, not next week, not next month. Not when this goes away or clears up or we get more clarity or more information, but what now? What in this moment, right now on Sunday, when the church is empty and our homes are full of people who call the creatures their church, when people are panicked and people are fearful and people are not really certain about what the next new cycle is gonna bring their way, what now? What are we gonna do in this moment? What are you gonna do in this moment? What am I gonna do in this moment? How are we gonna respond as men, women, families, husbands, wives, moms, dads? How are we gonna respond as the church? How are we gonna respond as the Crete church? How are we gonna respond as a community? What now? That's the question that in the midst of crisis confronts you and it confronts me. And when it comes to the question of what's now, you know, or what now, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? When it comes to the question of what now, in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of everybody talking about this virus, in the midst of everybody talking about corona, in the midst of everybody talking about things like flatten the curve, travel bans, quarantine, lockdown, empty shelves, altered store hours. When we hear all of these things, what now? That's the question, what now? That's for you, that's for me, that's for us. And when it comes to the question of what now, I don't think there's, there's anybody better positioned to speak to us about what now in the midst of crisis than the great apostle Paul, who wrote nearly half of the New Testament. I don't think that there's anybody who's better positioned to talk to you, to talk to me, to talk to us, to talk to the church, to talk to the world, to talk to our communities about what now in the midst of this crisis? What are we gonna do now? What's the best path forward? Because when it comes to a resume of crisis, when it comes to the experience that one needs in crisis management, management to be able to talk to all of us about how to manage a crisis, I don't think that there's anybody better 
than the Apostle Paul. I don't think that there's anybody else that we can look to in a moment like this, perhaps, who has written more about this than the Apostle Paul, a Jesus follower, who once upon a time was a Jesus hater until he became a Jesus follower, a man who had his fair share of crisis, a man who knew what it felt like to have his back against the wall, a man who knew what it felt like to hear one bit of bad news after another bit of bad news. Matter of fact, there was one particular letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And in this portion of his letter, he kind of gives us a snapshot into his career, into his life experience, into his experience with crisis. And, and listen to Paul's words. This, these are the words of a man who's been there, who's faced it. This is a man who knows what it's like to be where we are and even to be in moments that you and I have yet to experience in our lives. Listen to what he says. He says, I've been whipped times without number. I've been beaten more times than I can count. I have faced death again and again. Faced death again and again. Let's just stop. Let's just think about that. Let's just pause for a moment and let's let those words just wash over us. Let's let the weight of those words sit in our lap for just a moment. He faced death time and time again. That's crisis. That's pressure. That's a moment when you panic or you don't panic. That's a moment when you have to decide what now? When you face death and I face death, those are moments of crisis. Those are moments when you can fear. Those are moments when you can have anxiety. I face death time and time again. That's the words of the Apostle Paul. Listen to this, he goes on, he says, five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. And if you know anything about flogging, you just know how bloody and how terrible and how painful that can be. He says, I've gone through that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Think about that. Th these were real experiences that Paul went through. This was real pain. This was real crisis moments that Paul lived through. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. He was left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. He says, I've gone through the chaos of the moment when the boat felt like it was going down and the boat actually went down. There was a shipwreck. He says, I've gone through those moments, not once, not twice, but three times. When everybody was scrambling, when everybody was panicking, everybody was fearful, everybody was saying, all's gonna be lost. He says, I've gone through those scenarios, not once, not twice, but three times. I spent night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, I've been in dangers from bandit, from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. He says, I know crisis. I know what it's like to be in a moment where it feels like the oxygen is being sucked out of the room. He says, I know what it's like to be in a situation where it feels like there's no light beyond this dark moment where it feels like there's no beauty beyond the destruction of this moment. He says, I know what that's like. I've been there many, many times. He says, I've labored, I've toiled, I've gone without sleep. He says, I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to wake up in the middle of the night and be thinking about it. I know what it's like to wake up early in the morning and be thinking about it. He says, I know that. I, I, I know, I understand that. I have known hunger and thirst. He, he says, I know what it's like, the fear and the panic that can come from the thoughts of not having food or drink. I've been there, I've done that. 
And I've often gone without food and I've been cold and naked. You know what Paul sounds like? Sounds like a guy who knows a crisis. Sounds like a guy who knows what it's like to be in a hard time. Sounds like a guy who knows what it's like to have his back against the wall. Sounds like a guy who may know how to best move forward for us, for you, for me. In the midst of everybody talking about a contagion, with all the talks about pandemic, and all the talks about how many people could be diagnosed and do we have enough hospitals and do we have enough ICU beds and do we have enough ventilators? Sounds like a guy who knows maybe how to best counsel you and I how to move forward to help us answer the question, what now? Fast forward a few years later after Paul wrote this letter and he's in prison. He's in a damp, dark dungeon in Rome. Ultimately, he's gonna be put to death in Rome by Nero, the emperor. But before Paul dies, while he's in Rome, chained 18 inches from a Roman guard, he's gonna write letters. Many of those letters are preserved for us in the New Testament. He writes letters to individuals. At times, he writes letters to entire groups of Christians living in different cities that he helped to start. And the purpose of those letters were to instruct and encourage, to instruct and encourage So when you open up and maybe you have your Bible open there this morning and you have the New Testament in your copy of the scriptures, so many of those letters were written from a moment of crisis, from a context of crisis, from a place of crisis. And Paul says, listen, I'm gonna counsel you, I'm gonna instruct you, I'm gonna encourage you about how to answer the question, what now? How to move forward from this moment, this place, this time. And so chained 18 inches from a Roman guard under Roman custody in a Roman jail cell, he's going to write a letter to a group of Christians, just like us, a group of Christians who were living in a city called Philippi, uh, a church that Paul helped to start. And he's going to write to them and he's going to give them instruction. He's going to give them encouragement and he's going to talk to them in one specific portion. I think he's going to help us best answer the question, of what now? How do we move forward in the face of crisis? How do we face this moment where everybody's talking about coronavirus? How do we deal with moments where we can't even gather together as a church? When we're asked to alter our normal course of events, our normal schedules, when schools are shut down and we've been asked to think about living our lives differently, at least in the foreseeable future because of what's happening. Paul writes from a moment of crisis and he says, okay, I'm gonna help you answer the question of what now? So moms and dads, there you are, you're with your sons, you're with your daughters. Maybe you're there, you know, as a single person. Maybe you're there with your friends this morning. Maybe you're watching this later this afternoon or later this evening or sometime this week to come. But there you are, and I just want you to understand how personal this is when Paul speaks to you and Paul speaks to me and Paul speaks to us. He's gonna show us how to answer the question of what now? And I promise you, it's gonna seem a bit implausible. It's gonna seem a bit impractical. And maybe to some of us, it's gonna seem a bit impossible in this moment to respond the way that he's going to encourage us and instruct us to respond. But I promise you that if you'll stick with me until the end of this, and we track with Paul with what he says, Paul is gonna give us some of the most practical, some of the most beneficial advice of how to weather this season, of how to confront this crisis and how to move forward in the face of it. And so I just want you to listen to what this man says from prison, 
chained 18 inches from a Roman guard, a prison that ultimately he's gonna be held in until he is put to death. And this is what he says. As implausible, impractical, and maybe as impossible as it seems in this moment, he says, in the moment of crisis, rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what the moment is, no matter what the context is, no matter what the newsfeed is, don't panic. Don't freak out. And don't get angry and ticked off at people who get panicked or freak out. Don't get depressed. Don't let anxiety rule your heart and your thoughts. Don't start living in fear. Don't become cynical. Don't get bitter. Don't get negative. Don't point your finger at him. Don't point your finger at them. Don't do that. But rejoice in the Lord always. Despite the circumstance, despite the moment, despite whatever crisis it may be. Rejoice in the Lord always, even in the midst of corona, even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of uncertain financial markets, even in the midst of your life being altered and my life being altered, rejoice in the Lord always. Don't panic. Because if you wanna panic, you can panic. If you wanna freak out, freak out. But don't do it, Paul says. Don't, don't go that way. Rejoice in the Lord. Rather be joyful. Paul says in moments of crisis, what is really important for you as a cross follower, what is really important for me as a cross follower, what is important for us as a church is to be known as a people known for joy even in the midst of crisis. Because it's joy that will keep you from panic. It will be joy that keeps you from cynicism, from being a casualty of your circumstance, from getting burnout with all the bad news. It's gonna be joy that's gonna keep you from getting so fatigued and frustrated, you just wash your hands and say, I'm done. If you rejoice the way that Paul says, if you choose joy the way that Paul instructs and encourages us to do, he says you're gonna be able to face this crisis in a way that other people just aren't able to face this crisis because you know something that they may not know and you're embracing something that maybe they're not embracing. Paul's in a situation that he didn't ask for. We didn't ask for this. I guarantee you there's not a single one of you who prayed for this. Paul didn't wanna be in prison. Paul wanted to be out starting new churches. He wanted to be out there building the kingdom. He had plans, he had dreams. He didn't ask for this, neither did we. He didn't want where he was at, neither did we. I, I walked into this, uh, to the church this morning and I, I was watching our band and our volunteers, which they have done such an incredible job. I, I was watching them warm up and I was watching them get ready for today. And, and I was just overcome. I, I looked at an empty room and I knew that it was gonna be an empty room all day. And I thought about our church being empty and I thought about other churches being empty and I just thought about this moment and it was so emotional. None of us want this. None of us have asked for this and neither did Paul when he wrote these words. But there's something really important for us to understand about Paul saying, I want you to choose joy. Joy that Paul experienced, the joy that Paul experienced, it followed his gratitude. Uh, I'm not gonna show you the verse, but you have your Bible open maybe, or you can check it out later. But in chapter one, verse three, Paul begins this whole letter by saying, I thank God for you every time I think about you. Paul decided that even in prison, even in a crisis, he, he was gonna be grateful. 
He was gonna be grateful for the people that he loved, for the people that he did life with, for his family, for his friends, for the people that he shared the kingdom of God with. He started his letter with a note of gratitude and it was his gratitude that opened the door for joy to come in. And it's really important for you and I to understand in the moments of crisis, joy follows gratitude. Gratitude opens the door for joy. So I think the idea is that in the moment of crisis, Paul says the first thing that you and I need to do is we need to be grateful. We need to be grateful for those things and for those people in our life. And we should tell them and we should tell God. And we'll talk about more of that in just a moment. But, but here's the idea. Being grateful first is the first step towards becoming joyful. Being grateful is the first step towards becoming joyful. So in the moment of crisis, it feels like joy feels so implausible, impossible, impractical. Paul said, no, not really. It's very, it's very practical, it's very plausible. He says, in this moment that we're all in, start with gratitude. Start with being thankful for the things that you can be thankful for. The things that are in your life, the good things, the good people that are in your life, be grateful for them because it'll be a game changer for you. It'll keep you from being enslaved by this circumstance that we're all a part of. Paul found himself in a place of absolute confidence in the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. In other words, he believed that God was in control of everything, that everything in life either came from God's hand or came through God's hand. And because Paul believed in the sovereignty of God, he could be grateful. He could be grateful that God was in control. He could be grateful for the belief and the confidence that God has a plan. And then in the end of whatever that plan is, it's gonna accomplish only good. It's gonna accomplish only good for you, for those around you, for those that you don't even know. And in the end, God's plan is not only gonna accomplish good for you and for me, but it's also gonna bring him glory. Paul believed that God is good even when things are bad. And God can take the bad and turn it for our good. That's what he believed. In the moment of crisis, he believed that God is good even when things are bad. That's important. That's important for me and important for you. And he believed that in the moment of crisis, God can take the bad and turn it for good. It was that belief, that confidence, that conviction that allowed Paul to be grateful. And it was that gratitude that allowed Paul to experience joy. I mean, he even wrote it down. You've heard the verse before. And we know that in all things, how many things? All things. How many things? All things. God works for the good of those who love him, those who've been called according to his purpose. Paul said, listen, even in the crisis, God can take a crisis. God can take a global pandemic. God can take lockdowns and quarantines. God can take empty shelves. God can take the uncertainty of the moment and God can take all of that bad, which the enemy means for evil and God can turn it for good. That's what Paul believed. Chained 18 inches from a Roman guard. So when he says, be joyful, even in the midst of crisis, he knows what he's talking about. He says that joyfulness will start with gratefulness. It'll start with being thankful and expressing gratitude. Listen to this. In, in earlier in the letter, in chapter one, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, this is how I know God works everything out for good. Even in the midst of crisis, he said, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything, remember all those things we talked about at the beginning? Everything that has happened to me here has happened to spread the good news. Paul said, listen, everything that's happened to me has been 
a, a thing that God has used, a means to an end that God has used to accomplish his purpose in the world, his good purpose in the world. He says, for everyone here in prison with me in real time, including the whole palace guard knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. He says, listen, this moment of crisis has been an opportunity for me to further the purpose of God in the world. This has been an opportunity for me to be a witness for the kingdom of God. This crisis has been an opportunity for me to speak my faith, to share the story of Jesus. Paul says, God is good. And even when things are bad, God is still good and he can take the bad and use it for good. Paul says, I know because I'm watching it happen in real time. I'm chained to a guard. He's 18 inches from me. He's having to listen to me pray. He's having to listen to me preach. And he's watching me write you all letters. This bad moment, God is using to accomplish good. This is, this is the conviction of Paul. It was also the conviction of people like James who wrote a letter in the New Testament and he says, consider it pure joy. There's our word. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, even this kind, this moment, 2020 in America, 2020 on this planet, Whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith, this moment, this crisis, this stretching, this pressure, it produces perseverance. There's something good gonna come of this. There's something good gonna come on the other side of this uncertainty and this season that we're all in. It's gonna produce perseverance in your faith and my faith. And so James said, let perseverance finish its work. Why, James? So that you, so that me, so that we, may me mature and complete, not lacking in anything. He says, this moment of what's not good is gonna be used to accomplish good. And for that, you can be grateful. And when you are grateful, it will open the door for joy, even in the crisis. This is what Peter believed. Peter says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. There's the word again. Though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, even this one. These have come. These have come. Whatever comes your way, whatever crisis knocks at your door, whatever crisis we're all facing, they have come so that they prove the genuineness of your faith and my faith. So that it'll be greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. That in the end of all of this, on the other side of the crisis, on the other side of the storm, on the other side of the valley, it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Paul's saying, when you believe that God is good and that he can take what is bad and use it for good, you can be grateful in the midst of anything. And when you can be grateful in the midst of even a crisis, it opens the door for joy to walk into your crisis. When you're confident that God can take bad and work it for good, when you're confident that God can take the crisis and make your faith stronger and better, if you're confident that God can use this crisis to give the local church an opportunity to be the local church in a way that maybe we've never had the opportunity to be, that gratitude will open the door for us to have a sense of joy that the world just cannot understand. Because it's that gratitude that will begin to change our experience. And so Paul, understanding that probably we're gonna protest and push back, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again for the people in the back. Rejoice. Rejoice. Joy is not only a feeling. 
It's a deep confidence. It's a persuasion. It's a conviction that God is in control. God has a plan. May not be our plan. May not be your plan. May not be my plan. But it's God's plan. And it's gonna be for your good. And it's gonna be for my good. And it's gonna be for his glory. Now, this is Paul. You say, where did Paul get this insight? He got it from Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with whose joy? My joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And I love this, don't miss this because I don't have time to stick on it very long, but my joy will become your joy. I've spoken these things to you so that my joy will become your joy. Jesus is in the upper room when he spoke these words. He's in the moment of his own crisis. He's looking death in the face himself. His death is just around the corner. He's gonna be betrayed. He's gonna be arrested. He's gonna go through some unspeakable horror of suffering. But in the moment of his crisis, he says, I'm gonna speak to you so that you have my joy and my joy will become your joy. Later on in the New Testament, we read that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He endured the crisis because he knew on the other side of the pain, there was purpose. He knew on the other side of this moment that feels like a famine, there's fruit. Jesus knew in this moment of ash, there was beauty on the other side for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. That's Jesus. <laughs> this is where Paul got that. He says, my joy will become your joy. And so Paul goes on and he says, so in this moment of your crisis, when you're grateful and now you've got joy, let your gentleness be evident to all people. Let your big heartedness, your generosity, your compassion, your love, your grace, your mercy, your reasonableness, your gratitude, let it be known to everybody. Don't fall into the same cycles that everybody else falls into. Don't get on social media and talk like everybody else and do what everybody else does and point fingers here and point fingers there. No, in moments of crisis, let your big heartedness be known. Let your generosity, your compassion, your love, your grace, your mercy, let that be known. Let that become contagious. Because when you get big hearted and you begin to be generous and compassionate and loving and gracious and you extend mercy and you're reasonable, other people will catch it. He says, so in the moment of crisis, do that. Don't allow, don't allow your circumstances, don't allow crisis to derail the way you treat people. He says, the Lord is near. There's no time for games, no time for pettiness. This is not a time to play politics. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or independent. This is not a time to play religious liberty games. This is not a time to point fingers here and point fingers there. This is not the moment. This is not the time. Paul says, let your big heartedness be known. Don't let your opinions be known. Let your big heartedness be known. This is so relevant. This is what you do in a crisis, he says. Then he says, because the stakes are so high, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Even this. Even this. Even now. Worry is a distrust of God. It's believing that God's not gonna get the end right. Jesus said, you don't have to worry about your life because God knows and God cares. And if you believe that God knows and God cares, what else do you need to know? You do what you can do. We're gonna do what we can do. I'm gonna do what I can do. 
And when it comes to the uncontrollable outcomes, and there are many uncontrollable outcomes when it comes to crisis, when it comes to the uncontrollable outcomes that we cannot control, we're gonna trust the unconditional grace of God. We're gonna do what we can do, but we're gonna trust God for all the things that we can't control. So Paul says, he goes on. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, Paul, but in every situation by prayer and petition, he says, that's what you do. He says, in moments of crisis, he says, I want you to get a prayer list. Moms, dads, Creek Church attendees, everybody watching online, let me tell you, this, is, this gets as practical as it can get. You should grab a sheet of paper, you should grab a notebook, a notepad, a post-it. You should grab a pen or a pencil. And at some point, before you get away from today's service, today's broadcast, you should write down a prayer list. There's nothing too big, nothing too small to put on there. It may not change every situation, but it will change the way you begin to feel and experience the situation. A prayer list, having some things that you're asking God for, that you're talking to God about. It's a posture of faith. It's a posture of trust. It's a practical way to walk in faith rather than fear. Write some things down. Write some people down and pray for them. Pray for the President of the United States. Pray for Congress. Pray for Republicans everywhere, Democrats everywhere, Independents everywhere. Pray for our governor. Pray for those who are leading healthcare agencies. Pray for those who are in emergency rooms and ICUs. Pray for those on the front lines who are taking care of the sick. Pray for those who are driving trucks, who are trying to get supplies to stores in communities all across our nation. Pray for people. Pray about the situation. Pray for people. Pray about the situation. And Paul says, it's gonna change the way you experience the situation. Because I just wonder if we all prayed this week, if we all had a list this week and God had answered everything on our list, I just wonder what would be different. What would be different about your life? What would be different about my life? What would be different about the world? Paul says, don't be anxious. And the way that you can keep from being anxious is in every situation, pray and have some petition, have some requests. Pray for other churches, pray for other pastors. Pray for us to get this right in a moment where we need to get this right. Pray for those who are underprivileged. Pray for those who are susceptible to this virus. Pray for those in Italy who are experiencing the nightmare. Pray for the Northwest. Pray for our, our cities, our communities that have yet to be touched by. Pray about these things. Put these things down. This is as practical as it gets of how to live through a crisis. He goes further and he says, if you wanna get away from anxiety in every situation, pray and have petition with thanksgiving. Not only have a prayer list, but have a thanksgiving list. Have a grateful list, have a gratitude list. Write down some things. You can do that too. God, I just, I want you to know today. I don't really know how to pray. I don't really know what to say, but I just wanna start by saying, thank you for the good things in my life. I wanna thank you for my wife. I wanna thank you for my sons. I wanna thank you for my church. I wanna thank you for my friends. God, I, I walked to the pantry this morning and there was bread on the shelf. There was food on the shelf. God, I went to my refrigerator today and there was something to drink in there. There's something to drink for later. 
God, tonight I'm gonna lay down on my bed. Thank you for a bed to lay down on. Thank you for pillows. Thank you for a roof. Thank you for a car to get into. Thank you for a job. Thank you, thank you, God, for the good. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my leaders. God, thank you that you've promised to always do good by me and for me. Write them down. And Paul says, it'll keep you from being anxious. He says, when you do these things, the peace of God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says, if you're grateful, you'll have joy. And if you'll begin to pray about this and let your big heartedness be known about all of this and have a gratitude list and a prayer list, Paul says, let me tell you, you're gonna experience the peace of God even in the midst of crisis. Even in the midst of one bad news cycle after another, you're gonna have a peace that passes all understanding. And that peace that only God can give, it will stand at the door of your heart and it will stand at the door of your mind and it will resist fear, it will resist panic, it will resist cynicism, it will resist all the things that you can't afford to feel and to have in a moment of crisis. It's the peace of God. And again, listen to the words of Jesus as we get ready to wrap it up. He says, I am leaving you, Jesus said, with a gift. Where did Paul get all this? He got it from Jesus. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Jesus said, that's my gift to you, even in the midst of crisis. A gift of a peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give to you is a gift the world cannot give. Media can't give it. Politicians can't give it. Only Jesus can give it. So don't be troubled or afraid. He says, in another place, he says, I have told you all so that you may have peace in me. And here on earth, you're gonna have many trials and sorrows just like this. And that's the thing I love about Jesus. He never held back. He, he never tried to sell us a false bill of goods. He said, this is life. There's gonna be bad things. There's gonna be tough things. There's gonna be crisis but take heart, I have overcome the world. Because I have overcome the world, I can give to you peace of mind and heart. And so Paul wraps it all up in his letter. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, one last thing, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. This may mean you have to turn off cable news. This right here may mean that you have to find a reliable source of information that doesn't mess with your emotional equilibrium, that doesn't chip away at your faith or your peace of mind or heart. You may find some sources that you have to tune into and listen and stay close to that doesn't compromise your gratitude or your joy. He says, you gotta think about the things that are good and true and noble because otherwise it will undermine, Paul said, everything that we just got through talking about. So here it is, final words, don't move, don't leave, get this. Let's put this all together for all of us. As a church, as families, individuals, as Christians, what does it mean for us? It means times of great fear require people of great faith. That's what our world needs. In a moment of great fear, we have gotta be a people of great faith. 
A people that believe that God is who he says he is and that he's gonna do what he promised he would do. A faith that says, God, we didn't ask for it, but we're gonna trust as though it's from your hand or it came through your hand. God, faith that says that even though this is a bad moment, a bad situation, we believe you can take the bad and turn it for good. And in the midst, in the face of great fear, you and I, our church, every church, we've gotta be a people of great faith. Faith that says we're gonna be grateful in crisis. We're gonna have joy in crisis. We're gonna pray in crisis. We're gonna have peace of mind and heart, even in crisis. What does this mean for all of us? It means that a culture of panic desperately needs voices of hope, not more voices of cynicism, or negative or pessimism. No, 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 voices of hope. Even if it's just a voice out there in the wilderness of social media, in the wilderness of our communities or our families or our friendships, a voice of hope to say, you know what? There is beauty beyond this moment of ashes. There is light beyond this darkness. There is hope beyond what feels hopeless. There's health beyond the sickness. There's fruit beyond this moment of famine. There's life beyond this, what feels like death. A voice of hope because we're a people who believe that Jesus' resurrection is God's promise that the best is yet to come. That God has a purpose and that the whole world is in His hands. In the hands of a good Father, a loving Father. In crisis, we're gonna remember that it's an opportunity for compassion. For compassion. In the next few weeks, we may not know what going to church will look like, but you and I, we know exactly what the church should look like. So let's love loud. Love is our best play. It's what we've been known for. It's what we should be known for. And it's what we should always be known for. And let me just tell you this, we've been here before. This this is not our first rodeo. This is not our first experience with a contagion or plague. Two major plagues perplexed the Roman Empire in the early centuries of Christianity. One in 160 AD and the other in 251. A lot of historians say that maybe a fourth or a third of the empire died during those plagues. One of those plagues happened during the reign of Marcus Aurelius. During those plagues, men and women and children, they died. The contagion was rampant. This is history. But it was during those moments, during the moments of the virus then, that as the pagans and the priests of paganism and as the rich and as the poor and those who were fearful and panicking as they ran away from the villages where the sick were and where they were dying, there was one group of people running in when everybody else was running away. It was the Christians. It was the Jesus followers. Matter of fact, there was an Easter sermon. An Easter sermon in 260 AD. Less than 300 years after Jesus died, the Bishop of Alexandria, Dionysius, in his Easter sermon, he said, concerning Christians who were caring for those suffering during the plagues. He said, most of our brother and sister Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and only thinking of one another, heedless of danger, 
they took charge of the sick, attending their every need and ministering to them in Christ and with them departed in life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and caring for others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers and sisters lost their lives in this manner. A number of presbyters and deacons and laymen winning high commendation so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. So why do you share that? Love's always been our legacy. Let it be our legacy in this crisis as well. People in crisis need a church full of faith, hope, and love. And by the grace of God, that's who we're gonna be. We're gonna be joyful because God is sovereign. We're gonna be prayerful because God is able. We're gonna be thankful because God is good. And the result of it, we're gonna have peace even in the midst of crisis. A peace that passes all understanding. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for me, let me pray for us. Let's all bow our heads. Maybe put your hand in the hand of your family, your friends, maybe the people you're gathered with. Let's just take a moment Let's do what Paul told us to do. Let's just, let's pray. Let's sit in this moment and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to begin by saying thank you. Thank you for the good that's in our lives. We know that every good gift and every perfect gift, it comes from our Father in heaven. Thank you for our families and our friends and Thank you for food and provision and for homes and healthcare and for jobs. And God, thank you for our church and thank, thank you for the ability to meet like this. Thank you for those that we're gathered with right now. Thank you for the good that's in our lives. And God, as a church today, we pray. We pray for our president. God, give him wisdom. Give him great grace to lead the people of this nation. God, give the leaders of this world wisdom to lead the people of this planet. God, we pray for our governor and we pray for those who are managing the crisis and planning accordingly. We pray that you give them wisdom as they instruct us and as they give us counsel on how to best live our lives in the immediate future. God, we pray for churches everywhere, for pastors everywhere, for Christians everywhere to rise up, to be a people of faith, hope, and love. We pray for doctors and nurses and assistants and lab techs. And we pray for those who are on the front lines of what's happening in Italy and the Northwest and in communities all across our nation. We pray for those who are fearful, genuinely fearful, for those who are up there a little bit in their years, God, and worried about what it may mean for them, God, we pray for them. We pray for places, communities of retirement and nursing homes and hospitals. We pray for first responders. God, we pray for each other and we pray for moms and dads and sons and daughters. And we pray for individuals in our church to be strong in this moment face this crisis the way that Paul says we face it.
pray your grace to flow in us and through us. And may your purpose be accomplished through us in a way that we've never experienced before. Let us walk in faith. Let us be a voice of hope. And may our legacies of this crisis be that of love. In Jesus' name.